0: you are locked on jets your daily new york jets podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day welcome to the locked on jets podcast this is your daily podcast on the new york jets it's thursday july 30th 2020 i'm your host john b from gangrenenation.com if you enjoy the show subscribe to it on your favorite podcast venue and also please do leave it a good review Today we are going to do our weekly mailbag. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Let's begin. First question is, if Arizona was to make Chandler Jones available and they offered Jordan Jenkins and Seattle's two first round picks for Jones, would you accept? And for me, that's a pretty easy answer. I I would not accept that. I I don't think that that's the right move for the Jets at this point in time. I talked on yesterday's show about how I now think the Jets are not a now team. And as I said yesterday, that does not mean that the Jets are just going to give up on 2020. They're going to try and win. But the Jets are not a team that's necessarily focused on the here and now. They're focused on building for the future. If all things are equal, if you have to make a choice between doing something for now or doing something for the future in terms of how you allocate resources, you're going to focus on the future. That's because the Jets have so many draft picks and they have so much work to do on their roster. You have to remember, even though Joe Douglas is technically entering year two, this was really his first offseason. Last year, he could only make a few moves on the edges. The roster was essentially set by the time he arrived with the New York Jets. So you can almost view this past off season as the first stages of the rebuild. And, you know, it's probably frustrating for Jets fans to hear that because we've been in rebuild after rebuild over the last seven years or so. But even though Chandler Jones is an excellent player, I just don't think that fits what the Jets are looking to do right now. Because trading Jamal Adams, even though Adams is only 24 years old, that was a move done for the future. You don't trade your best player on the eve of training camp. For future draft picks, if you're focused if your focus is totally on the here and now. You do that if you are thinking more long term. And here's the biggest problem with, with making a move like that. If you make a trade like that, you've essentially traded a twenty four year old for a thirty year old. And again, this is a roster that still has a lot of issues. If Chandler Jones was younger, I could at least maybe see it, but he is a guy who is now thirty years old. And that's just. uh, Also, I I mean, I got to be honest with you. I think that giving up two first-round picks and a a starter for Chandler Jones—that sounds like kind of an overpay to me. I I don't think he's he's worth that type of uh, return. You know, when Arizona acquired him from New England four years ago, they sent a second-round pick and a player. And I understand that Chandler Jones at that point in time. Was about, was going to require a big extension. And I understand that he was not as productive in New England as he was in Arizona statistically in terms of sacks, partially because of the way New England uh, coaches their edge rushers, you know, partially because of the role that they play in the New England system. But he was also four years younger. And it just seems like an enormous price to get somebody like Chandler Jones. I've got to be honest with you, I, I'd be skeptical of trading any draft picks for players in their 30s at this point in time for the Jets because the goal for this season is absolutely make the playoffs. I think that the Jets are going to try and make the playoffs. I think that the the season's a disappointment if they miss the playoffs. But big picture, I'm just not sure how important this season is for the Jets because, again, you're at the beginning of the rebuild for Joe Douglas. So I would be very, very, very hesitant to trade anything more than like a fifth round pick for a veteran player. Next question, would you trade one of the third round picks for Ryan Kerrigan or A.J. Green? Kerrigan seems to be the odd man out with Montez Sweat and Chase Young being the edge rushers in Washington. Green seems to be the odd man out with Higgins, Boyd, Ross, and Tate. Green would still start, but they may look to get younger and grow the future receiver core with Joe Burrow. And I'd go back to the same thing I just said about Chandler Jones. Again, you have two more guys who are on the wrong side of thirty. Now, this is a little bit different because you're only talking about maybe giving up a third-round pick instead of a first-round pick. But you know, you're also when it comes to Kerrigan, you're also talking about an edge rusher who isn't as productive. And I don't think Kerrigan makes would make a huge difference on this defense. Now, as far as AJ Green goes. Yes, he's been a, a tremendous receiver. He's been one of the best receivers in the NFL throughout his career, and there, you know, maybe you you could make an argument that for Sam Darnold, this would be a, go- a good guy to add, a reliable option, even if he is coming off an injury. And you know, if the price gets lower, maybe. But again, I just cannot give up an asset as valuable as a third round pick for a player who's in his thirties coming off an injury. And here's the other issue. If let's just say you're Cincinnati right now, you are trying to develop a young quarterback of your own. And one of the things I look at is if Cincinnati does not want A.J. Green, because, you know, we can name the receivers on Cincinnati, A.J. Green, A.J. Green, that's anywhere close to his prime, you know, even if he's not the player he used to be. But an A.J. Green who is maybe just a little bit worse than he used to be why would you not want that guy with your young quarterback? So if Cincinnati is so willing to give up A.J. Green, and they're so willing to give him up that they'll just take a third-round pick for him, don't you think that would be kind of a warning sign that maybe he's not that good? I mean, that's one of the paradoxes of the NFL, that when a team offers you a player in a trade, typically you don't want that player, because if they're willing to trade him, he must not be that great. Whereas... If you team's not willing to give up a player, then you probably want him because th- there's probably a reason the team doesn't want to give up that player. You know, look at Jamal Adams. The Jets always said that, you know, we're not going to give him up unless you give us a ridiculous offer, and C- Seattle sure enough did. And that's you know, Seattle wanted Jamal Adams, and there's a reason Seattle wanted Jamal Adams, and there's a reason the Jets were not willing to give up Jamal Adams unless they got a huge offer. If Cincinnati is so willing to give up a receiver who – was, has been such an important part of their franchise. Who's been such a high-level player, and they're willing to give him up so easily—that's kind of a red flag for me. So that's something I, I would avoid. But I, I just don't like the—I don't think the Jets should be giving up draft picks at this point in time. Now, again, if you're talking about like a fifth-round pick or a sixth-round pick or a seventh-round pick, you know those are picks that have a very low odds of very low odds of hitting. So those would be fine. And you could all, those are picks that are also pretty easy to obtain if you just trade down. I mean, you can trade down a few s- spots on day 2 and probably acquire a fifth, a sixth, a seventh round pick. So, I don't I don't get upset about losing those picks, but anything higher, you know, again, the Jets are a team focused on later. The Jets are not a team focused on now. And we're just at the beginning stages of this latest incarnation of the Jets rebuild. So, I think that Jets should avoid giving up picks, and they should especially avoid giving up picks for guys in their 30s. Lockdown Jets podcast here on a Mailbag Thursday. Our next question, dream a little. If you could add any non-quarterback player to the current Jets roster for 2020 and beyond with the goal of maximizing the team's chance to reach and win a Super Bowl, which current NFL player would you add to the team and why? Feel free to take into consideration players on rookie deals so their cap charge is cheaper and players you expect to improve. Interested to see your take on positional value, contractual value, and which players you think are best in the NFL. And I will say this, I'm not as worried about contractual value because if you're letting me take any player in the NFL, I'm going to take a great player who, even if he's expensive, is probably going to be worth his money. And there are a couple different ways I could go on this because, and if you listen to the show, you probably know that like, my views on the NFL are kind of a mix between new school and old school thinking. When it comes to new school, I'm a big fan of analytics. I'm a big fan of modern NFL team building. I'm a fan of modern NFL offenses, but I still do have some old school tendencies. And I think my old school tendencies are going to take over here because my view in the NFL is that the first guy you get is the quarterback. You build around your quarterback, which, you know, is... Quite a profound thought. I mean, nobody, nobody else will say will tell you that. That's the genius analysis you come here for. That you build around your quarterback. That's that's the first piece. The second piece, I think, is either an edge rusher on defense or a franchise left tackle. And again, I'm showing you that in this way. I'm kind of old school because those are really kind of the two pieces. Those are the two pieces I build around, and I'm more inclined to say that the left tackle is more important because the left tackle is the guy who protects your quarterback. And I totally agree with people who say right tackle is now a premium position. You know, a lot of teams in the NFL adjusted when offenses started putting their best, op- their best lineman at left tackle, defenses adjusted and said, well, we're going to put our best pass rusher against the right tackle but, so that he's not facing the best offensive lineman on the other team. Right tackle is now a premium position as a result, but still left tackle. Most quarterbacks are righty. The left tackle is blocking the pass rusher. Your, your quarterback cannot see. You don't want it's. You don't want your quarterback to get hit. Period. But you especially don't want your quarterback to get hit from his blind side. So, you know, I could have gone with an edge rusher like a T.J. Watt. I could have even gone Aaron Donald, who's just such a dominant force that he has the impact of an of an elite edge rusher but I'm, I, I want to protect Sam Darnold. So I'd go with David Bakhtiari of Green Bay. He's, I think, has been as consistent of a left tackle in the NFL as there's been in recent years. I mean, I could go, I was thinking of Ronnie Stanley, but Ronnie Stanley just had a big year with Baltimore and he's not that much younger than Bakhtiari. So I'd go with the left tackle. I'd, I'd want to protect Sam Darnold. And I'm certainly hoping Mekhi Becton develops into that type of tackle but if you bring in Bakhtiari then Becton can play right tackle which again is also a premium position maybe a little bit of an easier transition to the NFL a little bit less pressure on him still but you still will need him to grow into it to a great player but I'm going with I think the left tackle be just that's just something I believe in is that the first piece on the offense is the quarterback and the second piece is the left tackle Our next question, if there is no college football season, how confident are you that the Jets or any NFL team will be able to evaluate talent prior to the 2021 draft? And do you think the Seahawks gave up so much in the Adams trade in part because the 2021 draft might be compromised? um it's it's going to be a challenge if there's no college football season Uh, there's no question about that and there are a lot of factors to consider there's a lot in play here first of all these players are going to be missing a critical year for their development you know every college football season that's how players improve that's how they get better but it's also a chance for players to showcase and this is the example i would use let's imagine there was no college football season in 2019. Joe Burrow, who was the number one overall pick in 2020, if there was no college football season last year, it's not a lock that he gets drafted. And if he does get drafted, it is a lock that he's going late, like sixth, seventh round. So that shows you how important, how much can change in the span of a year in college football. So if you lose a season, it could have a big impact. I think what it shows you is how important it is to have a front office that can evaluate because if this happens, then there's going to be a guy like a Joe Burrow. There could be guys at every position like Joe Burrow, somebody who would develop into a top-flight talent who could go in the late round. So I think it just shows you, I think more than anything, it shows you how important having a quality front office, having a quality scouting staff is going to be for these teams. Now, how much faith do I have in the Jets front office? Well, the Jets need to show it. So far, I've been impressed by this Jets front office, but... Yeah, we'll see. I, I think that it's tough to say. I, I would give you this answer. I mean, I, I still think this Jets front office is at the beginning. I think it takes years to evaluate a front office. So at this point, I'm, I'm pretty impressed by what I've seen from them, at least in terms of how they value people. And the guys that Joe Douglas had brought in, generally speaking, have pretty good reputations in the NFL. So uh, you know, I think that this, I'll put it this way. I actually am kind of confident in this Jets front office. I'm not totally confident just because they haven't been around long enough, but I'm very optimistic about this front office. Now, as far as you know, picks being more, less valuable in 2020, well, you, can, you can't predict the future because if just a few months ago in the 2020 draft, people were talking about how well, teams are just going to trade out of this draft. They're going to trade their 2020 picks for 2021 picks because in 2020, there were the pro days were limited. The pro days were kind of canceled at the start of them. Maybe a few players got their pro day in, a few schools held pro days, but most of them were canceled. Teams could not, con- could, could not conduct in-person visits. So you had a lot going on. So you, know, you can't predict the future because a few months ago, people were talking about how much more valuable 2021 picks were going to be than 2020 picks. But ultimately, you know, if there is more uncertainty in the draft, that's a sign that you want more draft picks, not less, because you want to build up your margin for error. And the draft is an uncertain business to begin with. That's one of the reasons I'm always big on adding draft picks, because you just there's just so much uncertainty when you're talking about the futures, the next 10 years of guys who are 20, 21, 22. You just there's a lot. Of, it's it's almost impossible to predict with any degree of certainty. So you want to be able to hedge your bets. So if the draft is going to be uncertain this year because of these unknown elements, if if the college football season's not played, that's a sign you want more picks, not less. I think the the right approach is to have more draft picks in a in a year with great uncertainty. Locked on Jets podcast here on a mailbag Thursday. Next question. The impact of Jamal Adams. Where do you think the Jets will suffer the most without Adams? Was the run defense good last year because of Jamal or because the defensive line was good? Adams was good in coverage against tight ends and running backs, but struggled against wide receivers. Where do you see the Jets defense ranking this year if Mosley stays healthy? Uh, So a lot lot there. Look, there's no question about it. The Jets defense is worse without Jamal Adams than it was with him. This may be a move that works out great for the Jets in the long term, but it pretty obviously makes the team worse in 2020. And again, you're, what you're hoping is that ultimately in the long run, the team benefits. And I think, you know, alt- and as I said the other day, if S- Seattle offers you that package, even in a scenario where the Jets and Jamal Adams are happy with each other, you still probably have to take it just because it was such a huge trade package because it's, it has the potential to improve your team so much in, in the long run. But in the short run, it hurts. There's no, there's really not much doubt about it. It's difficult to say like where it hurts the Jets because I think that changes week to week, and that's really the value of Jamal Adams is that anything you needed, Jamal Adams could provide you. There's a lot of talk in football about how the league is becoming more positionless because you have running backs who can catch. You have receivers who can rush the ball. You have tight ends who are becoming ath- who are athletic and kind of like turning into hybrid, wide receiver hybrids. A lot of tight ends are essentially just big wide receivers. And Jamal Adams is kind of the defensive answer to that. He's kind of like the positionless defensive player who can do it all. If you need to shut down the run, Adams could do that. If you need to slow down one of these weapons in the passing game, he can do that. If you need a sack, he can rush the passer. So I think more than anything, it probably... Makes Greg Williams's job more challenging, just because Adams could line up in so many places. He could line up in the box. He could line up deep. He could line up in the slot. He could line up as an edge rusher. He, I mean, he did. If you look at the way Pro Football Focus broke down his deployment last year, he did it all. So I think it makes Greg Williams's job more difficult. It it really limits what the Jets can do schematically. Um, I think that the defense this year. I mean, look, I I've been saying this for months. I think that if the Jets defense plays at the same level as it did last year, the statistics are going to be worse just because they're probably going to be facing better opposition. And losing Adams, you know, hurts a lot. And I think that the Jets have – look, the Jets have issues at edge rusher. They have issues at corner. I think if the Jets finish, like, middle middle of the pack, it would be a successful year because they have so many pronounced issues at so many important spots. And I know Mosley's going to help, but I, I don't think Mosley has the impact of Jamal Adams – so I think if the Jets, I think if the Jets finish middle of the pack, I, I would probably consider it a successful year based on the personnel that they have. I I don't think the, I certainly don't think this defense gets better without Jamal Adams and presumably with a more difficult slate on the schedule. Now who knows you know who knows how quarterbacks regress? Who knows who gets hurt? But ultimately, if you look at the late part of last season. We don't talk about it much, but a lot. But some of some of that defensive success was just due to the fact the Jets weren't playing very good quarterbacks, and the the two guys who were actually decent, not even great, Andy Dalton and Ryan Fitzpatrick, neither of whom is like a top flight quarterback, both had some success against this defense. So it's uh you know it, it's going to be a challenge for the defense, and I think it gets more challenging without Jamal Adams. Again, the Jets are a later team. The Jets are not a now team. Next question, any chance the Jets will change their front office structure? Joe Douglas seems like the real deal. Is there any way to have Gaze answer to him and let the GM make decisions about the head coach rather than than the Johnsons? Most teams follow that structure and let football people make football decisions. Why do the Johnsons insist on the current structure? Um, so, I, I first of all, I've heard no indication that the Johnsons are going to change the structure. Now, the one thing I would say is that I, I, I would not agree when, with the statement that most teams have that structure because a lot of teams do have the structure the Jets have where the head coach and the general manager both report to the owner the difference is that on those teams at least the teams that are successful the owner's really engaged and the owner really gets what's going on and he's kind of on top of things which is clearly not the case with I mean look Chris Johnson last year pretty much told you he did not evaluate Mike McCagnin after the 2018 season he waited a few months after the few months and after mcagdon spent a record amount of money before he actually evaluated mcagdon so you cannot argue that chris johnson is on top of things the way he needs to be with this structure but you know the structure i think is kind of a symbol of bigger issues because even if you go back before they had this this structure was put in in 2015 when the jets hired mcagdon and todd bowles at the same time and it was put in because Rex Ryan and John Idzik had all kinds of issues with guys overstepping their issue of their areas of authority. You know, Idzik trying to d- determine how players were used, which was not his job. And you know, Rex Ryan was not happy with Idzik. There were, there were all kinds of issues there. But even to go back before then, the Jets have had issues internally. I mean... If, if Ryan and Idzik was a perfect example. I mean, look, yes, McCagnin and Bowles did not really seem to have much of a relationship. McCagnin and Gaze could not work together. But if you go back before that, Rex Ryan and John Idzik did not get along. That was nominally a different structure. If you go before then, Rex Ryan and Mike Tannenbaum, it seemed like they kind of had a power struggle and Rex ultimately won it. Prior to that, you had Tannenbaum and Eric Mangini and Tannenbaum won that battle. So I think the issues are more just... With the way the ownership operates i think i do think the jets need to change their structure but they're just issues with ownership where ownership allows these internal battles to happen it's just not good for the for the team so i, I would like to see the jets change their structure because this current structure we got we got mccagnon and Bowles, and we got mccagnon and we got mccagnon and gaze with this current structure and i do think that joe i trust joe douglas to make football decisions i trust joe douglas to, to determine the fate of the coach more than I trust Chris Johnson. But I think the issues are just more with ownership not creating a stable environment than it is the structure. I think the structure is a symptom of the problem. The problem is just the way ownership operates in general. And our last question, I used to hear that rookies that teams cut to add to the practice squad were not touched by other teams out of respect. Then that unwritten rule appeared to be ignored, especially by the Patriots. But I haven't heard anyone mention this in the last few years. Were practice squad rookie cuts ever honored by teams? And if so, is it frowned upon whatsoever to, anymore to sign these guys? I do remember a few years ago reading about how there was an unwritten rule about practice squads. And it's not necessarily that you sign another player, another team's practice squad players to your active roster. It's more that it was more that you don't sign a player, a team cut to your own practice squad if that team wants to put the player on the practice squad. And I remember a few years back, there was an issue between Seattle and San Francisco about this, where I think like Seattle cut a player and the Seahawks wanted to to sign that player that they cut to their practice squad. And the 49ers were were looking to sign that player to their practice squad. And that became a whole... But I mean, ultimately, I think that these unwritten rules are kind of silly. And I think I remember in recent training camps, the Jets have done that. Jets have signed players to their practice squad that other teams cut. The other one that I remember is is the off-season injured reserve rule because for players in their first four seasons of the NFL there's been a rule that to be placed on injured reserve during the off-season you have to clear waivers which gives the other 31 teams a chance to to claim the player and the reason that rule exists is that say the Jets like so the Jets have like an undrafted free agent like Lawrence Cager or George Campbell at wide receiver and say, hypothetically, the Jets did not think either player was going to make the team this year, but they wanted to keep the team, keep them long-term. Maybe they could embellish an injury, and the Jets would try and stash that player on injured reserve. Well, if the player wasn't really hurt, it would really wouldn't be fair to them because the player could be playing with the team. So in a situation like that, you give the other 31 teams a chance to claim the player just in, just to prove that he's, that he's actually injured because if the player's healthy and other teams are going to claim him. Now, it didn't really work because if, let's say, the Eagles claimed one of those players, what do you think is going to happen the next time the Eagles put a player on IR and they have to clear waivers? the Jets are going to claim that player? So that was kind of an unwritten rule. And that one, the years ago, uh, the Giants tried to put Jake Ballard on injured reserve and the Patriots claimed him, and that became, that became a big issue between Tom Coughlin and Bill Belichick. Uh, but ultimately, you know, like, look, I, I think that, Unwritten rules are made to be broken. I mean, there's a reason they're unwritten; they're not. Uh, they're they're not. They're not actually rules. They're just things teams do. If you have a chance to improve your team, I don't have a problem with with doing with breaking a quote unquote unwritten rule. I just think that if it's not if it's not actually a rule, and you have a chance to improve your team, you should take it. That's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy our show, subscribe to it and please leave it a good review. Hope you have a good Thursday, everybody. We will be back tomorrow to close out the week.